have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection, and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. School of Humans. Do you guys want to hear some podcast tea? So... Uh, well, you're going to hear it, whether or not you want it. If if you don't want it, fast forward like a minute and a half and the episode will start. But we had to update the American Field podcast description because it said things like fuckboy and cucks and anal. <laughs> uh, and apparently, I didn't realize this, but the podcast auto-populates on some news websites. And so they were getting, we were getting complaints that they're just like, oh, God, we just, it just says fuckboy on our website whoopsies so we updated the description because the thing is i love i love filthy stuff and i really appreciate all of y'all who are listening who like filthy stuff but i also understand maybe it's not polite to just you know assault unsuspecting website perusers with words like cucks you know maybe they're trying to enjoy their wednesday or whatever so we updated the description but don't worry the spirit of the podcast remains the same and so this is episode six. And I think something that's fun about this is this is another episode about boats. And for anyone who is perhaps a little bit more historically rigorous than I am, there might be some good fodder to look at this trend of the, the intersection of filthiness and boats, because it seems like things are happening on boats. Like what is up with boats? Like maybe it's more of a psychological study or something, but we got there's some there's some up with boats. I think here's another historical theory that I'm going to posit that maybe if people with wieners had ever understood that they could, you know, control their horniness, maybe fewer people would have been oppressed. This is that's a huge theory. I know. But this is a, an episode about how a lot of women got displaced because dudes were too horny and they were like, I can't do nothing about it. Anyway, thanks for listening. Let's just get into the episode. Imagine you're a bird flying over the Ohio River in 1863. Are you there? Are you a bird? When you hear in the distance the sound of a man complaining. I'm a man and I'm complaining. Complaint, complaint, complaint. 
You love getting in other people's business, so you swoop down closer and closer until you finally make out what he's saying. He whines, What are these motherfucking hoes doing on this motherfucking boat? Yeah, it's not a direct quote. But also, it could have been, we don't know. The entirety of human history is not recorded. But that is exactly what Samuel L. Jackson would have said if he was cast in a movie about the captain of a ship called the Idaho. In 1863, it's a brand spanking new steamboat, captained by a man named John Newcomb. This boat is supposed to help people travel down the Ohio and Cumberland rivers. It's supposed to make John Newcomb so much money. It's supposed to be a good, God-fearing vessel for good, God-fearing people. But unfortunately for Mr. Newcomb, the Union Army had ordered him to put on board his ship the most unwelcome of cargo. It's his ship's maiden voyage, and on board are about 110 sex workers from the streets of Nashville, Tennessee. And on today's episode of American Filth, how all these ladies got on that boat. This is American Filth, and I'm your host, Gabby Watts. Every week I tell you a filthy story from American history. In today's episode, Vicious White Women. Okay, guys, it's the 19th century, it's the Civil War, it's America. We're going down to Tennessee. Now, Tennessee, it was the last state to join the Confederacy. But then Nashville, it was taken back by the Union in February of 1862. The man in charge at the time of the Army was General William Rosecrans, or as he was called, Old Rosie. <laughs> he was one of the most powerful men in the Army. And he was a tough dude. Unlike other generals, he liked to get up into the guts of the battle. And for him, Nashville, that's a great place to have the Union Army. His access to water, trains, infrastructure is a good place to train troops on the Western Front. But he didn't think about one issue. Most of the Union soldiers at the time were like 18 to 22 years old. They were away from their families for the first time ready to have some fun, doing some war, doing some drinking, and doing some sex. There was a huge demand for banging, and lucky for the boys, there was an influx of supply. To put it into perspective, before the Civil War, Nashville had about 200 prostitutes. But once the Union Army was there, there was more than 1,500 of them. And part of the reason for that was that during the Civil War, a lot of women couldn't make enough money to support themselves. Basic goods were getting super expensive, and then their husbands' and their dads' war salaries were pretty low. So they'd have to take on jobs like sewing. But then that wasn't bringing in enough cash. So some of them, as a side hustle, took up prostitution. And a lot of these women are coming to Nashville, because they know <laughs> that's where the soldiers are. 
and then they're all pouring into one small part of the city, Smoky Row. Smoky Row was an area about two blocks wide and four blocks long. And even before the Civil War, this was a place to go and have a good time. Most of the women who worked here were poor white women, usually about 30 years old, usually widowed with kids, living just above the poverty line in a small apartment. But there are also some very fancy body houses or parlor houses or houses of ill fame and ill repute, whatever you want to call them. One was run by sisters Eliza and Rebecca Higgins. They had 17 prostitutes working for them in the house, which was worth a whopping $24,000. But the richest madam of Smoky Row was Martha Reeder. She was actually one of the richest people in Nashville before the war. She had about $15,000 in personal money strong, independent women who are also pimps. So then, during the war, these streets of Smoky Road, they were packed out. Ladies hanging loose in various states of undress, ready to make a real Union soldier out of you. One Union soldier said, there was an old saying that no man could be a soldier unless he had gone through Smoky Row. Women had no thought of dress or decency. They say Smokey Row killed more soldiers than the war. I mean, that's not exactly true, but it did cause some serious problems. Like on the battlefield, about 17% of Union soldiers got injured. But in the sheets, 8% of soldiers got syphilis and gonorrhea. And yeah, it wouldn't always kill you, but it, it wasn't good, you know? And at the time, really, the only treatment for these diseases was mercury. And that always put dudes in retrograde, making them totally useless on the battlefield. That gave rise to this fun expression, a night with Venus, a lifetime with Mercury. And now so many soldiers were getting messed up with STDs in Nashville that it was becoming a state of emergency. And U.S. Major General Rosecrans, he was pissed. He was pissed about the STDs. He was pissed about the lack of morality. And he was pissed about losing soldiers on the battlefield to frivolity. And so he got to thinking, and he was like, well, there is literally no way I can get these horny boys to stop visiting the ladies at houses of ill repute. So I guess we gotta get rid of the ladies. Duh. You can't do anything about a man's wiener, can you? Nothing. So yeah, he went about getting these ladies of the night out of Nashville. The first big push to get them out of the city was in the winter of 1862. Hundreds of the women on Smoky Row were gathered up. As one union captain wrote, they were compelled to leave. And they were put on a train and sent up to Louisville under guard so they couldn't escape. But the thing is, this problem wasn't unique to Nashville. So when they got to Louisville, the officials there were like, what? We don't want your harlots. We have plenty of them already. But because it was under old Rosie, they eventually came around to it. I guess they were also compelled. And so, very temporarily, the sex work problem in Nashville was solved. One Union captain wrote, 
Nashville was afterward all the happier and better off for their conspicuous absence. This guy sounds like a fun time. And old Rosie, I can imagine at the time he was like, yes, go me, I did it. I got the prostitutes out of Nashville. I am a genius. The problem was that soon after these women were deported, they all came hustling back. Because the thing about trains, they go both ways. And the problem was just as bad as before. So old Rosie, he enlisted Nashville Provost Marshal George Spaulding, a former school teacher and man filled with duty, to deal with it. We'll be right back after these soothing ads. Have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Nashville Provost Marshal George Spaulding was a former school teacher, and he was to become the great hope to General Rosecrans to deal with all these dang prostitutes of Nashville. Rosecrans commanded him to deal with the problem in July 1863, writing, Without loss of time, seize and transport to Louisville all prostitutes found in the city known to be here. Because you guys know what the solution to a problem is, Just do the same thing that you did before that failed. So Spaulding made a plan. He was like, well, we already tried to get these gals out of town on a train. But what about this time? We put them on a boat. And the boat he intended to use for this plan was a brand spanking new steamboat belonging to John Newcomb. The Idaho! Spaulding was like, hey, as ordered by General Rosecrans, we're going to commandeer your vessel to get some of these hoes out of Nashville. And Newcomb was like, hey, that's a terrible idea for me because this is a new boat 
And if you put some hose on it, no one will want to get on my boat ever again because it has very bad vibes. And Spalding was like, well, don't worry about it. We're going to compensate you for your troubles. And I am sure that the reputation shall not be tarnished. Spoiler, Spalding technically never pays him and the boat's reputation was in fact quite tarnished. So Spalding enacted his plan. He began gathering up some of the most notorious sex workers and putting them on the ship. They rounded up 110 people in total. We know that of the women on board, all of the ones they rounded up were white. Some of them indeed had venereal diseases. There was even a few children. Very neat. I love war. Some of the women did resist. The Nashville Daily Press reported that one woman, called one of the most notorious Cyprians, she quickly married a dude, quote-unquote, some scamp, hoping that this marriage would get her out of being boated away. Unfortunately, that didn't stop Spalding. His men still forced her to get on that boat. As the article said, she is on her way to banishment. On July 8th, 1863, Captain Newcomb got the notice that it was time for him to leave. It said, To the captain of the steamer Idaho, you are hereby directed to proceed to Louisville, Kentucky, with the hundred passengers put on board your steamer today, allowing none to leave the boat before reaching Louisville. So Captain John Newcomb and his crew of three set sail as a bunch of Nashvillians waved it away saying good riddance to these ladies of ill repute. The Idaho cruised up the Cumberland and Ohio rivers to their destination. They were supposed to reach Louisville in five days. And indeed, just like he thought, havoc ensued. Newspaper articles describe people on the side of the river laughing at the boat and men swimming over to the boat to try to get a piece of tail. And it didn't help that the women on board were encouraging it. <laughs> but just like last time, the thing about having a boat filled with prostitutes who you intend to dump at another city is that the other city will figure that out and be like, we don't want your prostitutes. We already have our own. You already tried this once, Nashville. We're not going to let it happen again. When the Idaho arrived in Louisville, none of the women were allowed to get off the boat. The Union Army officers stationed there were like, no, thank you. And the general in charge of the army there was like, get out of here. I will not take your cargo. He placed some military guards on the boat and was like, go to Cincinnati. And Newcomb was probably like, fuck. The women on board were also pissed. A few of them snuck off the boat and swam to the shore. A lot of those women then ended up in jail in Louisville. But they were allowed to leave. And they were given one free ticket on a train back to Nashville. Now they're headed to Cincinnati, and the supplies on the boat had run out. Remember, they were only supposed to be on the boat for five days, and now they're just sailing to another city. Once Newcomb got the boat over to Cincinnati, they were just like, you can't even dock here. Go across the river to Kentucky and just wait. I hate being told I have to wait in Kentucky. So Captain Newcomb, his crew of three, the sex workers who hadn't escaped, and then the guards from Louisville, they just have to wait on that boat. And they're there for 13 days. 
13 days off the shore of Kentucky. Sounds like the worst country song you've ever heard. At this point, none of the women were able to get off the ship, and some of them were just like, fed the fuck up. A newspaper called the Cleveland Morning Leader wrote, The majority are a homely, forlorn set of degraded creatures. Having been hurried on the boats by a military guard, many are without a change of wardrobe. They managed to smuggle a little liquor on board. Several became intoxicated and indulged in a free fight, which resulted without material damage to any property, although knives were used freely. What? Just knife fights on the ship. There's not enough food. A lot of them need medication because of their diseases. So now Captain Newcomb has to go out of pocket to provide that for them. And some of them were so frustrated that apparently some of them were yelling off of the side of the boat to try to get Confederate forces to help them escape. So again, everyone's pissed. It's also July, so it's probably hot as fuck. Newcomb, his crew, the women, they've been on the worst carnival cruise for days, stranded. They've run out of supplies. 98 women and six children remain on board, under guard from the Louisville soldiers to make sure they don't get off the boat. But then finally, Newcomb gets an order. And it's really annoying because basically it's like, hey, we've realized this was a bad idea. So just come back to Nashville and get back here quick because we got even bigger river fish to fry. Because the thing is, Spalding and his crew had rounded up all these sex workers. But there were plenty of other people to take their places, especially black women, which the Union Army liked even less. Here's what the Nashville Daily Union wrote. The sudden expatriation of hundreds of vicious white women will only make room for an equal number of black strumpets. Another Nashville newspaper said, So barefaced are these black prostitutes, they parade the streets and even the public squares day and night. So the Idaho sails back down the river, and by August 1863, 28 days after it had departed, these vicious white women were back in Nashville. And Newcomb's pissed because the journey was for nothing and his boat is messed up. When they dock, one of General Rosecrans' men did an inspection of the Idaho. And in his report, what he said was that the ship had been badly damaged, the mattresses badly soiled. To cover all the expenses, including the medicine and food that Newcomb had to get out of pocket, the guy recommended that he be paid $5,300. But whatever, that's so boring. Who cares about that in a time like this? George Spaulding was like, this dude is so annoying. Who cares? We had to use your boat. I have bigger issues, like figuring out what to do with these prostitutes. Because now we have even more than what we started with. Old Rosie is going to be so mad at me. So what did George Spaulding do? An unprecedented action. He was like, our boys won't stop visiting Smoky Row, and we can't get the ladies out of Nashville. So instead, let's regulate it. That's right, Spalding made prostitution legal in Nashville. Basically how it worked is that every sex worker had to have a license. It cost $5, 
And to keep it, they had to see a union doctor every couple of weeks to make sure they didn't have any diseases. And then the ladies would be charged an additional 50 cents for those visits. If a sex worker did have a disease, she was then sent to a military hospital to be treated. And these hospitals were nice. They had a living room, they had nice beds, they had a cook, and a woman couldn't leave until she was perfectly cured. One doctor described one of these hospitals as a house in a secluded part of town with upper rooms obtaining good light. The women to be examined enter a reception room which is comfortably furnished and in cold or disagreeable weather, well heated. They pass in time from this apartment to an adjoining room in which there is a bed, a table, and all the necessary appliances for examining them. Some of these hospitals even treated black sex workers, which is one of the first times in the U.S. that medical care was desegregated. Don't worry, the soldiers would also get punished, like if they visited an unlicensed sex worker, it was 30 days in jail, but then the sex worker would also have to spend 30 days in jail, whatever. And basically through this program, it took like $6,000 to operate, and that's how much money they made off of the sex workers for the licenses. So just like paying for itself. What is this? Is this like public health care? That's crazy. It works? No. It's better for everyone? No. Stop it. In less than a year after this licensing program started, the number of STD cases dropped dramatically. The Surgeon General was like, yeah, this is, this is doing pretty good. He said, under these regulations, a marked improvement was speedily noticed in the manner and appearance of the women. When the inspections were first in force, many were exceedingly filthy in their person and apparel and obscene in their language. But this soon gave way to cleanliness and propriety. So it was a great success. Uh, but unfortunately for Spalding, uh, it, this did lead to an influx of sex workers in Nashville because they're like, damn, they really treat you well in Nashville and I can go see a doctor. But then the thing is, the war ended. And they were just like, hey, even though this program works really well and keeps everyone safe, let's just not do it anymore. That was just like a silly war thing. We're not going to license sex workers. We're not going to care about people's welfare. We're not going to care about the public. Boo. So they abolished it. No more licenses. No more regulation. And that was the end of legal prostitution in Nashville. And now this whole time, while prostitution was legal in Nashville, Captain Newcomb of the Idaho is in a big old tizzy because this whole time he hasn't been reimbursed. It had been two years since he had had those hundred vicious white women on his boat and still nothing. He's so frustrated that eventually he went over the head of Spalding and old Rosie directly to the Secretary of War. He was finally like, oh yeah, we should probably reimburse you. Newcomb got $6,000. But even with that, sure, it could pay for the damage done on his boat, but it could never repay the damage that had been done to its reputation. It never again cruised down the rivers of the southeastern United States. Newcomb said, I told them it would forever ruin her reputation as a passenger boat. It was done. So she is now and since known as the floating whorehouse. Every episode on American Filth, we learn a lesson. And I think the lesson that we learn here is that you should never get a boat that can fit a lot of people on it. Otherwise, people are going to ask you to borrow it and you'll never be able to use your boat again. Uh. 
American Filth is a production of School of Humans and iHeart Podcasts. This episode was hosted, written, and scored by me, Gabby Watts. Our theme song is by Jesse Neiswanger and me. Our senior producer is Amelia Brock. And our executive producers are Elsie Crowley, Virginia Prescott, and Brandon Barr. Thanks so much for listening. Please like, subscribe, review, etc. The pod wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow along with the show on Instagram at American Filth Pod. Thanks so much for listening. Talk at you next time. School of Humans. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids. No plug needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. (laughs) You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.